Hello and welcome back. It's episode three and I'm so excited to sit down and talk with Marielle T. Marielle has been working in higher education for quite some time and is a student of sociology and advocate for change, particularly in PWIs. And I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. I'm Joy Dertinger and this is 99 Lead Balloons. Season 2, Episode 3, Making Change in PWIs, Part 1. Welcome back to 99 Lead Balloons, everyone. I'm really excited to be with you all again and to be bringing you our second episode. Um, with me today is Marielle, who I'm so excited to speak with and talk to. And Marielle has her own podcast called WTF, which is with the facts. And um, I first came across Marielle's podcast because of an interview with Joe Lumen. Um, and since then, I have really enjoyed it. I have really loved listening. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'd love to just have a conversation with her. Marielle is a speaker, conference presenter, workshop facilitator, commentator. Um, she has experience in higher education, student development, all kinds of other things that um, we'll get into later. But Marielle, thank you so much for being here, um, for being willing to have this conversation with me. I'm so excited. Well, I am beyond excited to be here and <laughs> Um, I have actually listened to several episodes of your podcast and it's so good. Oh, thank you. I'm really, I'm really honored to talk to you and have this conversation. So thank you for the invite. I oh appreciate it. Yes. Yes. It is. It's, I never thought that I would, uh, be here doing this. So I'm very, I'm always really excited when, uh, when I get to talk with people that I think are very cool. So Oh, that's awesome. Well, the feeling is quite mutual. Oh, so. that's great. I'm so, so glad. <laughs> Thank so you. I'm just as excited as you are. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm, I mean, I kind of would love to just dig right into it if that's okay with you. Yeah. Um, would you mind telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Um, that could be anything you want to include. Um, but we'd love to just hear a little bit more about who you are. Absolutely. So, of course, as you said, my name is Marielle. Um, I am, um, I've been born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm a Southern girl through and through. I love sweet tea. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, my family actually is fourth generation Georgia. So oh. we are incredibly excited about what has recently happened. Yes. Flipped it not once. But twice, twice. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just over the moon. I'm still like on a high from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but outside of that, I am a podcaster, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I am a singer. So some people don't realize that. Yes. I um, I'm a writer, so I love to write. When I get that moment of inspiration, I actually feel like I write sometimes better than I talk. Yeah. <laughs> because I just flesh things out a little bit better um, and you know whatever I touch and I have my hands kind of in a lot of things but my goal I think is to always um, hopefully help people think in a different way or consider on something else mm. or just kind of help them be better or maybe just encourage them so I guess in a lot of ways I'm a, I'm a lover of people yeah. <laughs> um, um, and so I really try my best uh, to 
be sensitive to that. Um, and, you know, I've had to do a lot of unlearning in the past few years mm. and learning. And so I love to pass that on because I feel like when you get freedom, you want other people to be free. Yes. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. And so that's literally where I am right now. Um, and so wherever I, wherever I am. And so I've been actually in higher ed for about 10 plus years. Wow. And so I'm really excited because I've been able to do some really cool things in that space and now yeah. about to kind of venture and trying to get into another area. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later. Yes. But um, I'm really excited um, just to see where the journey goes and all of that. So that's just a little bit about me. Just that's a little wonderful. bit. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea that I knew you were in higher ed, but I didn't know it had been that long. Um, yeah. What got you started in that? Did you always want mm-hmm. to work in education? That's an excellent question. No. (laughs) (laughs) So I always like to say um, education chose me. Mm. I didn't choose really it, Mm -hmm. but then I wound up really loving it. um, I actually went to um, college for music business. Okay. So I thought I was going to be like the next record executive or, you know, managing people's publishing catalogs, things like that. Um, and then when I graduated, 2008 hit, and of course the economy collapsed. So there was no jobs at all. Yeah. Um, so the first job, that the only job I could really get was a part-time job working as an after-school counselor uh, with fourth and fifth graders. So I actually was at a school um, at a, in a... The, it's the city of Decatur. So it's a really nice area. So they have here in Atlanta, like it's, it's like, you know, high rises and all these really cool things. The yeah. cool thing about the city of Decatur is it's such a diverse community. So the school was very diverse. Yeah. I had students who were Muslim, Christian, black, white, Hispanic. I had um, students who had two moms, two dads, like yeah. it was just such an eclectic mix. Yeah. And I think during that time I, got, I had to work with the students um, you know, for math and just kind of really kind of help tutor tutor them. And I started to see um, these disparities between my different students, um, especially my black boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they yeah. were really behind their, their counterparts. So um, that was kind of one of the, my first introduction into education. From there, um, I got another job at um, an institution here um, in Atlanta. And so in college, mm-hmm. so yeah. that was my, and I just stayed. And so wow. though I'm at a different university, um, in the city, okay. it just kind of stuck. Um, I really began to really love dealing with students, yeah. um, and to really kind of help them on their career path, get them prepared for going into the real world. And then especially students of color, because both, well, the first university I served at was the DEFU of PWI. So mm-hmm. you don't know what that means. It's a, um, predominantly white institution Mm. and so kind of be in a safe space for them in a lot of ways Um, because that particular school is super hard (laughs) um, just naturally and so um, I just fell in love with those interactions and kind of feeling like I was shaping you know or helping to shape a mind or prepare their hearts (laughs) as Mm. they go into the world because it can be brutal yes um (laughs) Yeah. So that's literally how I got into higher ed. I did not think I was going to be in it this long, (laughs) but I don't feel like I'm leaving it. Like I have been blessed to do quite a few things in it. And so I'm like, you know what? 
I think I'm going to hang out for a second, yeah. for a second and just kind of stay in that space. So, yeah, that's yeah. how it started. That's awesome. That's wild. So I uh, that's funny. I really tried very, very hard to be in education and I I love educators. OK, I'm going to say that first, but I hated being one. I hated trying to do that. Um, I made it through like maybe two classes before I changed my major. I was like, I can't, this is not for me. Um, I'm terrible at this. And I was in like a grade school classroom, you know, assisting a, you know, a teacher, probably 20 kids in the class, not that big of a deal. Um, And it was, it was hard. It's hard to be an educator, yeah. and I couldn't couldn't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, it. I <clears throat> so though I have not. Well, I will say this: I haven't done like the faculty work, right? Yes. <laughs> However, I've had to teach students at other capacities, yes. right? like workshops and things of that nature. Yeah, I I can't imagine on a secondary, you know education level or higher ed, the intense work that goes into that. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. I have a respect for um, educators because it definitely is, um, it's almost like a thankless job and you are literally molding the minds of tomorrow. Yes. You know, like our future leaders in this country, like yeah. you are doing that. Yep. And it's um, just to think about a lot of my friends are teachers. So I feel like I hear their stories and I'm just like, bless your heart. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like the, you clearly are passionate about this. Just some of the things yeah. that they've had to endure. So yeah. I hear you. I'm, I'm always amazed at educators. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I joke about it all the time. I'm like, I, I was taking, um, how to teach, uh, like grade school math. And I was like, I couldn't even make it through like a grade school math class. It was so hard to like wrap my mind around. These are all of the different ways you need to make accommodations for students who think and understand things differently than the way that you do. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, total agreement there. And my kids' teachers are, I bless them forever. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Like this year alone. Every teacher, everyone in education this year wins all the prizes, always. All of them. Yes. Every one of them. Yes. <laughs> and a drink. Yes. Like several drinks. Yes. Like, just take the whole bar. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. That is that is what every educator deserves at this point. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm, and it's, I mean... So moving in into this space of education for you and, and being in it for so long and, you know, like you said, feeling like you have a moment here and you can stay for, for a while and really make a difference. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about the identities that you hold and how that, you know, kind of impacts your role in education, why that makes you feel you want to stay. Yeah, so... I'm a black woman. (laughs) So, um, you know, I was, you know, kind of sitting with thinking about, you know, my family and, you know, my mom and I was thinking about my, my great grandmother, you know, the other day. And I was like, you know what, there are so many parallels between our education stories. And I don't think that that's a good thing. Mm. So, 
Like, uh, I remember when I was in college, um, I did an interview on my great grandmother. So she died when she was 101. She was born in 1908. Wow. And um, I remember asking her during that interview for my paper, I was like, you know, so how did you grow up? Because in my naive mind at the time, I was like, did you have classrooms? Was it really nice? And she was like, no, we were in like a shack. Mm. Um, I think she gave me a memory from the fifth grade and she said that there were other grades in one classroom and one teacher and the teacher was teaching all of these students. (laughs) I was like, what? Um, she had education, but she was probably one of the smartest smartest people I knew. Right. Mm. Um, my mom who, um, was a child in segregation, um, would often talk about, so she was the youngest of her siblings. Um, and so they would go off to school. She wouldn't because she was still too young and she would be jealous you know, because she wanted to go to school. Um, she would sit with them while they were doing the homework. So she became really smart Yeah. Um, to the point where I think she got skipped a couple of grades. Right. Oh, wow. yeah. Tell me um, stories about when books for them would come, they would come from the white neighborhoods and how bad the books would be. And then I thought about my experience, um, especially in high school, it was almost the same thing. We would mm-hmm. always get, you know, run-of-the-mill kind of books. It was always secondary, mm-hmm. you know. All that. So when I think about those experiences with, you know, I'm like, huh. I, it, I think it really kind of helped fuel um, why I'm like, I need to stay in this space. Um, yeah. Because I have two degrees, about to work on a third. Wow. Um, they're all like... Um, from PWIs. And I remember Mm. physically being on campus and like what that felt like. Um, And there are times where there's no representation, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Of women, first of all, in like higher administration and people of color, Mm. right? And then don't get me started about there's sometimes not Q plus representation. There is sometimes not disabled representation, Mm. you know what I'm saying? So, Um, for me, with all the years that I have experience in, in higher ed, um, I have always noticed that the people making the decisions are white and male for the most part. Mm, yeah. That's problematic for me in so many ways. <laughs> and I figure if something is wrong, you can try to be the solution to that, right? Yeah. So it's been making a pivot. <clears throat> and so that's why I'm going back to school. To get make sure I got every T crossed, every I dotted, um, to kind of infiltrate that um, administration space. So there's representation there. Yeah. Um, had conversations with students who uh, don't feel safe. Right? It's mm-hmm. like I don't feel safe. I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. I don't feel like I matter. <clears throat> and so you really want to make sure um, that represent representation matters. We say this all the time, mm-hmm. but I think we don't really understand how deep it matters. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think carrying those experiences as a black woman um, has really kind of helped shape the world for me in being passionate about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this, I think how I started at first, um, you know, in grade school, I was fortunate. So I come from um, a middle-class you know, family. Um, and so my parents decided early on, you know, we really kind of want you to have a good education. So let's do, like, we're going to send you to, to Christian private school. Mm. Um, 
and I realized those Christian private schools were black. Um, how important that environment was. I remember the feeling of being heard, being seen, being loved, um, and seeing people like me, um, doing great things. And it really gave me the sense of what was possible. as I saw myself represented. And so I hold on to that. And I really feel like that's also a driving factor for me. So holding those identities um, really has helped kind of propel me into that space of saying, you know what, I really feel like this is where I need to be. This is the work that I should be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also will say this, as a heterosexual um, cisgendered. And if people don't know what cisgendered means, it means I identify with the sex that I was given at birth. Um, for, um, as a heterosexual, I understand my privilege in a lot of ways, right? There've been people who have not been able to, um, do certain things because of their sexuality or, um, because of, you know, the, the gender that they identify with. So, um, you know, our transgendered siblings, mm-hmm. um, so many ways. And so I feel like though that's not my experience, I also want to fight for that too. Yeah. Um, so that's a part of that unlearning and learning, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. It's like, you know what? Cause I mean, usually that's, that's what privilege is. It's like, that doesn't affect me. So I just don't worry about it, but yeah. it's like, oh, that it actually does affect you though. You may not be a part of that community when a person does not have access to something that still affects you because you're not getting the totality of something. You're not getting the whole of something. You're not getting the entire picture mm-hmm. of something. So um, I just carry that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I pray I never let that go because mm-hmm. that, that drives me, that motivates me. That That's my why. Mm-hmm. That's that was always the thing that I keep in my mind. This is your why. Keep going. You yeah. know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that that is... Um that representation for queer people is something that's really important to you. I have queer family members, queer friends, um, and they've all shared similar sentiments to what you're describing. Like they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel like they can go to faculty professors. Um, they have their gender questioned in class in front of multiple people. And then with, you know, title nine rollbacks and issues with that being gutted, um, it made everything so much worse. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I love, I love uh, doing that. Yeah. And I think today I was reminded of that. I was, um, me and my colleagues were having a conversation with our students virtually. Mm-hmm. And um, he was just really explaining like how much, how much he's gone through in the past six months. Um, he came out to his parents mm-hmm. Um he got kicked out the house. He had to try to start over. Mm. Um, he got COVID. Oh. He had to recover by himself, you know? And so I think when, and he said something today that I promise you has been sitting in my spirit since, <laughs> since our conversation. And he said, I don't want to be alone anymore because I don't want to be alone with those thoughts. Mm. And about students who have identities that people reject that just makes me want to love on them and create some space for that. Yeah. So that pushes me. I really want to be an advocate because I just care about humanity. I want you to be your whole beautiful, unique, amazing self and have the space to do that mm-hmm. and to gain the education that you want and to do everything that you want to do. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. 
I can only imagine you and you've talked about being in um, prim- primarily white or predominantly white institutions um, and being mm-hmm. in those PWIs. What is that? Would you like to share anything about what it is like to be in higher education as somebody who's, you know, um, working in uh, are you still in student development? Yeah, okay. so I actually right now work in our career services office. So what's really dope about my role is that I connect employers and students and they get married. It is great. And That's so, awesome. yes, yeah, so I'm still in that space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's incredible, though, because like what a cool position to be in to, yeah, to advocate like that, to say this is this is uh, somewhere where you can work that's going to be safe for you. Absolutely. And so the university that I work at right now, um, though it's not considered a black college, they graduate more black students than any other college within the state. Like it's a wow. very, you know, um, however, there's still some cognitive dissonance that I see. Yeah. Um, so when you ask me, you know, so what is it like being a part of a PWI, both working and as a student, I can tell you both those experiences. Yeah. Um, so as a student, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, it's, it is really uncomfortable. I remember when I was in my, I think, sophomore year mm-hmm. and um, it may have been like three other black students in this literature class. Wow. And we read Huckleberry Finn Ooh. and professor gets up and she's like, so um, there's a word that's in there. It's the N word. And um, we're not going to say that in class. So don't say that if I ask you to read out loud. And so um, she asked one of the students to read and the word came up. And I remember I was feeling like, Oh my gosh, please don't feel sad. He was like, um, it's a word that they use for black people. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I was like, this is uncomfortable. This is really awkward. Yeah. Um, girl called me colored <laughs> in college. It was just weird. But I think I had to think about her experiences. Like she had never really been exposed to black people. And that mm-hmm. the only name she knew was really colored. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2000 and I think five. Wow. So it was just a different, unique, and oftentimes uncomfortable um, thing mm-hmm. um, because you can't, like I said before, you, you don't really feel seen, but sometimes you, you don't feel seen, but your culture feels appropriated. Mm. They're like, you go to parties or any, you see it so much and it's like, you want our culture, but like, you kind of just like, like my experiences, what I've had to go through racism that I've had to do with, you know, mm-hmm. not um, receiving the same type of education that you got before you got here. Like, and I'm thinking about all these experiences. So you, it, it is a very weird dynamic from a student perspective. From a staff perspective, it is incredibly frustrating because I always tell people higher education can sometimes be one of the most racist places um, mm-hmm. and spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, you don't see any broad range of representation in higher administration. Um, And it oftentimes you are treated sometimes like you are, you know, like your thoughts, your opinions don't matter or, and you could be the smartest person in the room. Like it does, you know what I'm saying? And so I've had to deal with a lot of disrespect. I've had to 
I've had to contain a lot of emotion. Yeah. Um, and almost have to do what we call code switching. So that means you, wherever environment you're in, you just kind of readapt because, you know, I understand as, as a Black woman, if I'm in a meeting and I'm passionate about something, I kind of have to downplay that just a little bit. I have to be cognizant of my tone to make sure she came off angry. She yelled at me and it's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> so it's being passionate about right. what I'm talking about. Right. So it can be um, very, you know, frustrating. Um, however, I think the thing that you can hold on to is, like I say, the students can be incredible. Mm -hmm. um, the students can be amazing. And you can actually work with them. I, yeah. I will say in the, my role, I think it's being able to help employers see their blind spots before my students come to them. Mm. And like, I, I think maybe a few weeks ago, an employer sent something oh no they did they were doing an event and so I got I got them all together and everything and so that she was like we're gonna have a panel it's gonna be great we're gonna talk to the students about this so the panel happens there was not one person of color on the panel at all uh -huh. and this was a pretty nice size company mm -hmm. and where I was a proud mama is like um one of my students unmuted himself and he says so I have a question I'm assuming that you all looked at the demographics of our university and I don't see that represented here. Oh man. And how your company man. operates. And when I tell you, I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Advocate for yourself. I've yes. had some of my white students turn down opportunities because when they went to the, um, the company to interview, they did not see diversity and they did not like the answer. When the, they asked the company about diversity, they were like, I can't, I can't work there or I can't intern wow. there. So I have so much hope for this generation. <laughs> so it, it can, like I said, it can be a weird kind of space to be in. But I think the thing that is great is that you can have impact on students' lives. And so that has to be the goal. Like yeah. other stuff, it makes it worth putting up with mm -hmm. to just really be able to pour into students and just really kind of help them just be their best selves as they enter the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, that's oh. awesome to hear. Um, my husband is in grad school right now. And we've been talking a lot about these issues. He's in the English program. Um, and <laughs> we talk a lot about the things that they're reading. Um, you know, some of the things are very, it's very philosophy heavy. Um, and recently discussing the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie. Um, and we talked about it heavy other day and I said you know what is the like do they ever talk about gender do they ever talk about race do they ever talk about queerness like what what is kind of the thing that is is it comprehensive I guess is it inclusive or like what is the thing that you guys talk about um and he said no like we talk about those things sometimes um but it's not it's not predominant it's kind of like a mentioning and then moving on um and you know I yeah. shared with him a lot of uh, what I've heard from a lot of my friends which is that everything is kind of boiled down to classism in higher education and that it just kind of get everything else gets swept under the rug it's all boiled down to classism and if we can just fix classism then everything else will be everything will be fine and 
it's not no. going to be fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it's not going to be fine. Um, so it's very exciting to hear that there are students who are saying, like, no, this is unacceptable to me. You need to be more inclusive. You need to represent the demographics of this area. It shouldn't be, you know, predominantly white or cishet institution. It yeah. needs to be it needs to reflect the diversity of, of the surrounding area. Absolutely. So I'm proud. Like I said, I feel this generation is going to be all right. I, I really feel I have hope because they are, they are very smart. They're very aware. Um, um, and the thing I love about college is it forces you as a, as a student, it forces you to interact with people that you may have demonized or have heard things negatively about yeah. because a you get paired with them, you have to work with them, um, and it can shift the dynamic. And to watch a student who started when they were 18 and then leave us maybe at 22, 23, um, you know, and they're just like a whole different person. Their viewpoints of the world changes. And I'm feeling like, yes, because that's what we're going to need for you to go help change this world. <laughs> like, yes. Need your thoughts and your processes and how you view people mm-hmm. to really change. I think a big part of to me, education is those, you know, intersectionality um, lanes for me. So, you know, I, it's, it's complicated, but, and I know it's hard because again, a lot of them are learning, you know, book-wise, but then they're unlearning a lot of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, which makes me happy because it's, a lot of it can be, it's toxic. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, you know, it is. They were around. It's like, we heard these jokes at the table when I was yeah. growing up. So I just think that, you know, that's just normal. But then now you can actually see a physical face and body and that person is your friend and that mm-hmm. uh, that's offensive. Like, you know, and they right. can help. So right. I just, uh, yeah, I, I'm really hopeful about this generation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I, I, I feel similarly. My kids are pretty young still. My oldest is 10. Um, but every so often I catch a conversation that she's having, um, with a classmate or she'll just, you know, start talking to us about it, um, because she's incredibly open, um, which is wonderful. I'm so glad that she is, but, um, she, sometimes I, I overhear things or she says things and I'm like, oh, okay. That something is going okay. Something is going to be all right. And even though my kids are young, I'm proud that they're part of Gen Z because, I mean, Gen Z is doing amazing things. Um, and, you know, people can, uh, older generations can say all they want that, like, Gen Z is weird and they do bizarre things and I don't understand them. But, I mean, they're working with what they've got and they're changing the world with the tools that they have at their disposal and they understand it and they move at the speed of light. Like, they are so quick to adapt. It's wild. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Can I just say they will always be my favorites because they (laughs) trump Trump. Yes. And it just makes me happy. So I'm here for them. Like, I feel like (laughs) I'm their biggest fan. Okay. Yes. Oh my gosh, that was, that was 
just the moment for me. You know, as a as a millennial, I was like, I don't I, I did for a long time. I was like, I don't understand Gen Z. They are confusing. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand what they're saying most of the time because I I mean, I settled into like being an uh, an old person when I became a parent. Like I was just like, okay, this is fine. I'll just be old now. <laughs> I just like won't even try anymore. <laughs> um but when that happened, I was like, oh, no, actually, now I really want to I want to hear from and I want to learn from Gen Z. And I want to I want to hear what they have to say. And I want to hear about their experiences because they're the ones who are reaping the consequences and the benefits of everything from prior generations. Um, Absolutely. And yes, it impacts millennials, but Gen Z is getting hit pretty freaking hard with a lot of shit. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Like piles of shit. If we go yeah. <laughs> like I'm like I thought our generation had it bad. Like goodness gracious. Yeah. Like I said, I think they are. They they all persevere because yeah. there's there's this grit. I think I think they've been labeled like as lazy because all of the they grew up in definitely in the technology like oh yeah force age right yes there is this uniqueness to them that just gives them such beautiful um, introspection, I think. And just that they just, they see the world. I know, I know we are like, why are you always on your phone? Why are you on the tablet? Yeah. <laughs> they really are. They're just smart. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, they're smart. Like, yeah. Hey, so yep. I, like, I think this generation, I, I'm really hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, they are incredibly smart, especially when it comes to technology. My daughter asked me for help with uh, something for school, and it was a website that I didn't understand. And I was like, sweetie, I don't know what this is. Can you ask your teacher in study hall? Because I don't know what it is. Like, I can't help you. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I can't do it. Uh. <laughs> Just like. I mean, I took a, I took some online classes like in college, but it was like all we had to do was read books and go on Blackboard and write papers. I didn't have like additional learning resources. And so I feel like I'm trying really hard to understand and learn with my children. But like education itself is changing, too, especially with the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. When I was working with fourth and fifth graders, um, I would go talk to their teachers a lot because mm -hmm. I was like, I'm confused because they had four different methods of learning how to multiply. And I was like, what happened to the good old fashioned way? Like, what? Yep. <laughs> so trying to under, and I was so lost, like on two of the methods, these yeah. students were tutoring me. They yes. were like, no, Miss Muriel, you got to do this and this. And so I'm like, <laughs> That's awesome. I'm like, I, I don't get it. I'll say, you poor babies. Like, we just had simple math. I don't know what this is. I yeah. apologize. <laughs> <laughs> like, we are so sorry that we are doing this to you. Yeah. But it's, it's crazy. I'm like, I don't get it. it doesn't, yeah. This doesn't make sense to me. So I just, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> it's fine. They're they're doing great. It makes sense to them. And, you know, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it is wild. And like, I mean, education is such a critical part of our lives. It's such a, an enormous part of our lives, even, you know, for um, regardless of, of how long a person is in school, whether that is, you know, 
grades K through 12 or moving on through getting their master's or bachelor's or PhD or multiple degrees, um, whatever the case is, education is a an entirely, it's this huge part of our lives, whether we realize it or not. And it is, um, you know, a space where we we go there and we make friends and we learn and we eat and we play and we rest and we learn so much about ourselves, about others, about culture even, um, that it's, it's for so, such a large chunk of the day, such a large chunk of the week, and then such a large, you know, time span over the course of our lives in such a formative point in our lives and you know the way that our brains function and develop and all of these things and um looking at all of that and all of the ways that education affects us individually but also as communities throughout history that's i mean that's huge education has such an impact on communities positively and negatively um but i don't know that education has a neutral I don't think that education has a neutral footprint anywhere. Um, no. No. And I wonder if you would share a little bit about, you know, ways that education or our education system has affected um, communities that you're a part of, um, whether that's throughout history or in recent years, um, and anything that you'd like to include in that. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, my experience, I think, was a little different just because, you know, I, I grew up in a um, middle-class community, right, that was pretty much predominantly Black. Mm-hmm. Um, and so initially, I remember when I was in high school, I was a part of a high school that was number one in, like, football and music and band. We were we were killing it with, you know, national competency tests, you know, mm-hmm. like, just we very intelligent, especially I remember my senior class, everybody was just smart, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, this is great. But then when I looked at our school, um, our school was built in like 19, like probably the late 60s, maybe. Okay. And at the time, that was a predominantly white area. Um, and so I was in high school from 1999 to 2003. And, and everything looked the same from when the school was first built. So, like, like wow. The, like nothing had changed it was dated a lot um all of that and so but I just thought okay well everybody's school probably looks like this um Mm -hmm. that changed for me when um my band director at the time he picked a few of us to go with him to um a very popular high school that was like on the outer skirts of town so it's about 30 40 miles from where we were and my mom is driving and she pulls up on the campus. First of all, the fact that I just said campus. <laughs> she pulls up <laughs> the and I remember my jaw dropped. I didn't, I was so stunned. I had never seen a high school look like this. Like they had their own stadium. They had their, I mean, state of the art, everything. And when I was walking through the school, to get to the the clinic that I was supposed to go to. They had this big grandiose, you know, fountain and I was able to see in these classrooms, state-of-the-art computers. I mean, everything. And I remember at 16 years old, standing in the hallways of this particular school and I felt cheated Mm. because it didn't make sense to me. We were better than them in football. We were better than them in music. We were just as good in academia and we didn't have half of these resources. Wow. And 
I remember thinking, huh, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and the impact that that has had, you know, I think that moment for me, um, and when I went back to my school on Monday, um, and my, my band director was like, you know, what did you think about the experience? I was like, I was really upset. <laughs> I was like, it was hard to concentrate in the clinic because I was upset because I was like, why don't we have those type of resources? How much better could we be? And why are we different? And the only difference that I could see, because I hung out with the kids while we were there and they were nice, you know, it was a predominantly white school and they were, you know, very nice and all of that. But I was like, the only difference that I can see is that we're black and they're white. So mm-hmm. does that mean that we don't, we don't deserve like mm-hmm. those same type of resources, right. you know, we deserve to have those. And so <clears throat> for me, the next thing I thought was, are we even learning the same things? Mm-hmm. I'm like, so if this looks this different and I'm looking at all of these things that they have and some stuff, I was like, I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, so wait, what are they learning? And I think yeah. it hit me when I went to college, my freshman year, we were not learning the same things. Yeah. I had the same resources. Like mm-hmm. I remember being in a math class thinking that this man was speaking complete foreign language. Cause I was like, I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. We were taking competency tests um, and they would be asking certain things. I'm like, we've never even really learned this. Mm-hmm. I had friends who were white. They were like, oh yeah, that's just da da da. And so for me, it was like, how is this affecting my community? The fact that I don't even have this knowledge, yeah. right? It's affecting me being able even to take certain classes now in college. Cause I had to take, I think it was either. Yeah. I think it was a remedial math course in like my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I wasn't smart. <laughs> it's just that a lot of the things I had not seen. Yeah. So I, education really as you were saying education if when we have access to knowledge and it's it's the same knowledge we get two totally different versions right so even if you're taking like history and you're reading through this book you like this shit ain't true (laughs) (laughs) what is this no you know what i'm saying and so i feel like the type of knowledge that we're getting are we getting the truth Mm. And so when you find out that you are not, mm-hmm. that to me, it disrupts the what you could be contributing to your community, even in the ways, again, how you operate with people, um, how you see them, how you see yourself. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yourself, right. So <clears throat> being um, being in a in the black community, um, I think for me, it was OK. I didn't get what I needed possibly at the high school. Mm. So here I have to go to this college space. And so then now you have to um, hope that you are obtaining knowledge. Because for me, I knew always I wanted to go back home. I always knew I wanted to go back to my community and do whatever I could with the education that I had. Um, And so um, I think about people who um, have been taught incorrectly, you know, who... um, from a historical perspective, um, or maybe there's things that they just never heard of, never learned, and possibly how that has disrupted even their way of life. I'm a strong believer, education changes a household, education changes a community, um, and education ultimately changes the country, it changes the world. Like, Mm -hmm. and 
if we are taught incorrectly, that means we're spewing incorrect facts. We're spewing incorrect information. Yeah. We're not, you know, we're, we're harming people. And sometimes unintentionally because yeah. we thought this was true. Um, <clears throat> and so I am such a um, passionate person when it comes to asking questions. So one thing I will say, <clears throat> especially to students, if something doesn't seem right or you just don't get it, don't ever be afraid to say, well, why is that? Mm-hmm. I need, I need, let me, let's dive a little bit deeper and to do your own homework and to do your own research, like mm-hmm. to really test and challenge what you are being presented with. Yeah. Because the last thing that you want is you are learning something that is not correct. That is not factual. That has not been tested. That mm-hmm. has not <laughs> been tried. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's important. Um, and so now I can totally see um, differences in like my friends, you know, from when we were in high school and me, all of us went to college. Most of us have, you know, a graduate degree, how much different we move in the world. Yeah. And how much more um, passionate we are about certain things just because we learned about it. We were yeah. exposed to something that we never were exposed to before. So it's like, oh, wow, wait a minute. Like, you know, <laughs> and so... Um, I think that that's just, that's just so critical. Um, I always, I really try to challenge students like, Hey, don't ever be scared to ask questions, mm-hmm. challenge something. If it doesn't set right, feel right. Because again, you want to make sure you're getting the truth. Yeah. Um, you want to make sure that you're able to, if you're going to be teaching somebody else, once you've, ta- you've been taught that you're teaching them truth because it's a domino effect. It, it, it trickles on. Yeah, um, yeah. So seeing that um, and um, my personal experiences with realizing the gaps that I had. Um, and because if I'm being honest, the gaps even affected the type of school. Because <laughs> I didn't know certain things, so it it was reflected, and they were like, mm. "No, I'm sorry, we're gonna pass." Mm. And and so still, it's like, well, I feel cheated because if I had learned that, this could have opened up a door over here, right? You know, right? Um, really could have impacted my community in a completely different way, yeah. you know. So, yeah, it's it is. Um, it's definitely, it's, it can be a learning curve. I mm-hmm. think when you feel behind and that's the other thing too, you're catching up. Yeah. Like, um, and that can have residual effects in so many other areas of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also, I will say this too. This is why I get frustrated with people when they start trying to down um, community colleges. Mm institutions a big shout out to our new first lady who is a community college educator yes um, <laughs> because it exposes people who can't who don't have the resources the money yeah. um, to four-year institutions but it still gives them quality education that's why I say mm-hmm. professors there are so critical yeah. because sometimes it's the only space that people can gain additional knowledge mm. um I know here in Georgia, we have a lot of high schools that have partnered with community colleges where students are graduating with a high school diploma and an associate's degree. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, and I think about how powerful that is for them because it widens their choices. It widens their experiences that they're going to have. It widens um, more opportunities coming to them. So when I see students of color, when I see Q plus students, when I see students who are disabled be able to have those opportunities, how impactful that's going to be for them. And then the people that are associated with them and the people that they're in community with, like yeah. it really makes me happy. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, it can be. I love <laughs> it. Can be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I love that you said that about community colleges. I mean, I went to a community college my last couple of years of high school. I was doing high school and community college. Um, and honestly, it they helped each other. My, my classes in high school helped me get through my classes in community college, but also vice versa. Like I, I had more access to help at the community college. Um, if I didn't understand something and they played into each other, my English and yeah. literature classes, my Spanish classes, um, anything else that I needed to take sociology. I remember taking sociology and philosophy classes and that caused me to think now at the time, slightly more critically, not very much more critically, but it also gave me a foundation so that later in my life I could think more cr critically about the things I had been taught, particularly in history. Um, history was something that and is on my mind because the last, um, the last interview that the last guest that was on the podcast is a history teacher. Um, and it was one of those situations where, you know, we talked a lot about how important accurate history is. Um, and the accuracy in, in history books in grade school and in high school is lacking. And that's like an understatement. Um, but having something to, to teach me how to think critically. And like you're saying, how to ask questions and to say, why is that? Or what's the deal with that? Or how come this has never happened? Or why has that always happened? And how are we going to move forward from here? How can we make it better? Um, even though I didn't take it as far as I could have or should have at that point, you know, as a 17-year-old, I'm glad that now, um, you know, that some years later, I am able <laughs> that I, they gave me a foundation. Look, I'm old now. I've dated myself because I am an almost 11-year-old, and so I know. <laughs> uh <laughs> But no, we're we're not old. We're just like well seasoned. Yeah. Like we just a lot of it. That's yeah. it. We're, That's like, it. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> but I am I'm so thankful that that gave me a foundation of thinking critically and not just memorizing what was in the book and trying to spit that back out in a paper. I had enough of that in high school and admittedly in um in you know further college experiences. But that gave me something to to use later on um, in my studies and in life. And I, I love that you said that about community college because I couldn't afford to go to college. That was my in. That was my way to get somewhere. Um, Absolutely. I, I qualified. I don't know if the Pell Grant, I don't remember if that's a federal grant or if it's a, a state grant. Um, 
But here, like when in, I'm in Illinois and when I filled out the FAFSA, I got the Pell Grant. Um, and that enabled me to go to community college. And that was, you know, my way to get into the next school so that I could get my bachelor's. Um, and yeah, without it, I don't, I don't think I would have gotten to college. You know what? Something um, that I think is really important, which is when we say access to education, the, it's the financial piece of it. Mm -hmm. Because, and especially regarding college, yeah. um, um, the thing that I get frustrated with about our country <laughs> is, you know, we have said, go to college, get a college education, right? That's the bar. If you want to have a really good life, you need to get a bachelor's degree. And if you really want to have a really good life, you need to get a graduate degree. Mm. Like you set the bar that college is it. Yeah. Then what we have also done is we have made it Im almost impossible for people financially to get access to that. The yeah. thing that you're saying is the thing that makes my life better, you've outpriced me in. Like mm -hmm. you've made it so I can't even access it. Yeah. Um, and so that frustrates me. Like right now I was looking at um, a job description for a receptionist. Mm -hmm. A curiosity to see what the company would ask for. They wanted the receptionist to have a four-year degree. Oh my god! What? <laughs> like you know, I feel like that's that is We we set this bar. Why are we not making it easier for people? Mm -hmm. And we also have to talk about why is it that we are punishing people who have decided to go further their education because yeah. they're coming out of school with so much debt yep. that it is crippling their, their productivity. It is crippling their way of life and being able to just be able to flourish. They're not being able to do that. Yeah. You're coming out of school with so much debt. You can't find a job that will pay enough in order for you to cover like mm -hmm. and start paying that debt down. Mm -hmm. So there really has to be a restructuring. And so I am really hoping that with our new administration, that we really look at lifting that burden up off of people, because yeah. when we can do that, you talk about and making somebody's way of life better. Other countries have figured this out. College is free. If you yeah. want to go to university, you can go, yeah. right? Because yeah. they understand if we invest in our citizens, the citizens will then help the country. Mm. Economy, like they, it gets put back. So you have to invest. You cannot not invest into your people yeah. and being able to make things accessible. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the frustrating part. And so to me, to think that there are students right now who have a desire to go to school but can't because yeah. they can't afford they they can't afford it. Their family can't afford it. Um, and and most people are like, oh, they can just you know get student loans. And I'm like. Mm -mm. <laughs> trust me for those of us who have them we don't want you to be about that life like we don't want you to have to be about that student right. debt life like we don't want that for you come back next week for the second half of our conversation you've been listening to 99 lead balloons honest talk about shit society ignores Special thanks to my guest, Marielle T., for joining me. For more of Marielle's work, you can follow her at Marielle T.
Links to Marielle's social media and other platforms are also available in the liner notes. Graphic and web design by Chris Campbell Creative. Go to chriscampbell.com for more. Theme song by Luciano Music Company, licensed by Premium Beat by Shutterstock, produced and edited by Stoke the Wild Studios. To stay up to date on episodes and content, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 99pod or go to 99pod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.